pray that you, act, that you just act uh, within us, that God, you would somehow impart to us the importance of what it means to A, embrace who we are, but also to embrace the call that you have called us with. And so, Father, I just pray that you would uh, use the stories, these moments where your son models for us what it means to be a part of a community, what it means to live in the world, what it means to be an influencer, what it means to genuinely love people. And so, Father, I just pray that you would use these next few minutes, these next few weeks, to kind of empower us to go out into our communities in a different way. That, God, we don't, we don't place targets, but, God, we, we begin to just walk in, 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 in relationship with people. So, God, thank you for the stories that we're going to look at. Thank you for the, the moments that were captured through the writers like Luke and the spirit that hovers over this. And we pray this through your son's name. Amen. Uh, for years before we did Camp Beach, uh, which, like I said, is absolutely awesome, uh, we did summer camp and retreats a little bit different. We, uh, we did out in the middle of the woods. Anybody experience church camp out in the middle of the woods? Yeah, it's hot. More so, you know, it's like you can, you can deal with the heat when you have the ocean, right? Like, you're like, oh, this is nice. Like, I could stay out here all day. Well, when you're in the woods heat, it's different. You get hot, you get sweaty, then you go take a shower to, to kind of get rid of the sweat, and you sweat in the shower. That's how hot it is. And so you step out of the, and it's this bug-infested, snake-infested, mosquito-infested, hookworm-infested. Anybody want to go to camp? But that was my experience for years and years and years, was out in the middle of the woods. Now, one of the good things about being out in the woods is it allowed us to play kind of a different set of games. And we would play a game every year called Capture the Counselor. And so all the counselors would go and hide, and there were point values, and interns were always worth a little bit more. And so there would be a night when it was right at the edge of dark, and everybody would go and hide, and then all the campers would kind of scurry the hillsides and the campground looking for people. Well, every year... Certain counselors knew where the good spots were. Well, one of my interns one year found a really good spot. The problem was he didn't know the campground very well. So he takes what he thinks is a right turn that's going to lead him down, but he takes a wrong turn. And so he ends up in a great spot, a spot where nobody finds him. So he can kind of hear in the distance noise, and so he goes, okay, if I can still hear this rustling of everybody screaming and air horns and all this going off, I need to go a little bit farther. So he goes a little bit farther, and so what was a little bit noise turns into no noise. Now, he has no reception. He doesn't have his cell phone with him. He doesn't have a watch on. He loses track of time. He thinks, I'm winning. What he doesn't realize is that the game is over and we've moved on. We've moved on to what's next. And so a couple of hours come by, and we are in the mess hall, and we are eating the most delicious ice cream sandwiches that were homemade that you ever wanted to eat. So we've got everybody in there. You know, we've got 150 people in this big camp room, and so we're all kind of moving. Well, he begins to finally make his way back. He gets to a place that he's familiar with, and he sees the mess hall in the distance, and he hears music, so he goes, okay, they must be, you know, going on to the next thing. So as he gets closer to the mess hall, he sees in the window and sees that we are, in fact, eating ice cream sandwiches. So he comes in. I don't know how long he's been in the mess hall. So I walk up and I was like, hey man, I said, uh, these ice cream sandwiches are to die for. He goes, yeah, I haven't had one yet. I said, what do you mean you haven't had one yet? Run, get one. He goes, and he had like this real disappointed look on his face. Like he was bothered. I'm like, dude, there's more sandwiches. Just go get an ice cream sandwich. And he's like, did you not notice I wasn't here? I went, no. 
I do look around. There's 150 people. You're a grown guy. I don't know. I'm not keeping up with you. He says, weren't you going to send somebody to look for me and you weren't the least bit concerned? I went, took another bite and went, nope, but I would go get that quickly before they run out. (laughs) Guys, being lost is never fun. But being lost and realizing that no one's looking for you is even worse. And that was the bother on his face, was like, were no, was no one going to come and look for me? You know, lost is a word that we use a lot. We can relate to it. Uh, we spent the day yesterday at the mall. Lori lost her Ray-Bans in the ocean. We didn't get video of that, but uh, she lost her Ray-Bans in the ocean, so we went and got a new pair of sunglasses because she lost hers. Yesterday, we were doing some laundry, kind of catching up, and there's a pile. At the end of our bed, there's kind of this little stool thing. There's a pile of socks that's probably 12 deep. Not a single one of them matches. I don't know where these socks go. I blame it on the dogs. I'm under the bed. And, but we have this big pile of lost mates to socks. We lose our keys. We lose our wallets. We lose track of time. We know what it means to be lost. I remember one year we took a mission trip into the Bronx, New York, and we arrived in town about 12, and so we dropped everybody off, and we had to go across town to, to drop the trailers. And, and me and a guy named Mike got completely lost. We had no idea where we were. We're in the Bronx at almost 2.30 in the morning. Not a clue where we were. And so there's this terror that sets in. Like, I'm in a big city. I'm in the Bronx. I've heard all these things about the Bronx. So we know what it means to be lost. And Jesus uses this word to describe things, or more importantly, he describes people. And the way he describes them is this. He says they are people where, who are not where they're supposed to be, but they're missed. They're people, they're things that aren't where they're supposed to be, but we notice that they're not there. We have taken note that something is missing. He tells stories of lost things. In Luke 15, he tells a story about a lost coin. And he says that the the housekeeper noticed that the coin was not where it was supposed to be. And it says that she flips the house upside down, looking and sweeping and dusting and trying to find this coin. He follows that up with a story about a lost sheep, a shepherd who looks out into a field full of sheep, and goes, one's missing. Something's not right here. I'm taking note of all that's supposed to be here, and one is not here. And so it says that he leaves, and he goes and finds that one, and he tells a story about a lost son. And and, and Jesus has a a knack for this. And, And he focuses on the lost, but he never considers anything a lost cause. When, when something gets misplaced, when something is not where it's supposed to be, he never chalks it up like I did with, with my intern and go, well, that's just a lost cause. It's his fault. You know, he's off on the hillside. He looks and he takes note of those things. He, it meant that I'm going to go out of my way. I, I'm going to turn the house upside down. And Jesus was a magnet for these kinds of moments. Jesus was a magnet for lost people. Not only did he love them, that's what he's supposed to do, right? Here's the turning point in this. Not only did Jesus love them, they loved him. So it wasn't that he showed love. It was in these moments that he went out of his way to find something where it wasn't supposed to be, that they were a magnet to him. They were drawn to him because he was drawn to them. And I have to believe, as we begin to unfold this, I have to believe it had something to do with the fact that he didn't see them or treat them like a lost cause. Jesus did whatever it took to meet people where they were and show them that he cared about where they, he wanted them to be. See, with him, we see 
that hopeless found hope. We see that the rejected found acceptance. We see that the broken found healing. We see that the hurt finds comfort. And I love this. We see that the judged found the judge to be way less judgmental than we thought. And it's in these moments that Jesus made a habit of not just hanging out with these people. He made a habit of eating with them, with dining with them. He put himself in situations where no religious leader who was trying to build any sort of reputation, any sort of legacy, no religious leader in their right mind would ever be caught dead in some of these settings. And and again, the amazing part of this is that they wanted him there. They wanted him in these settings. He, his presence, didn't make them feel uncomfortable. Him being Jesus, this rabbi, the son of God, didn't make them feel uneasy. It didn't make them feel tense. It didn't make them feel like, oh no, we got to behave now. It was in these moments that he leaned in and loved. And Jesus loves these settings, even if it meant his reputation would take a hit. Luke chapter 15, we see kind of the setting for all those things I just told you about, the lost sheep, the lost coin, all those things. And listen to how all this begins. It says the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They complained. They got together and went, can you believe this? And this is what they said. This man, they didn't even call him by name. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now we look at this and go, big deal. Big deal. They're eating together. I mean, what, what's, what's the big deal? I mean, we do that all the time. It's very casual in our community. Even with somebody that you don't like at your office, you still go, hey, I'm about to grab a bag of tacos you want in. We do this regularly. We don't see any sort of, of, of problem with them, but not to them. See, in this culture, eating, dining, Having someone in your home or going into someone's home, it was a significant action. It was a significant setting. It was a statement. It was a statement of hospitality, who it is that you were trying to be hospitable to. You were hosting, and you were very aware of who it is that you were hosting, and you were very aware of who the host was. It was, it was a statement of acceptance. It was a statement of tolerance. It was a statement of what it is that you're going to put up with. And who it is that you have chosen to associate with. It was, a, it was a, a statement of intimacy. It was a statement of class. Meaning that there were certain social and economic classes. And you were not to step outside of those. Especially in the arena of dining with. It was a statement of status. It was a statement of worth. It was a statement of value. See, mealtime in their day meant this. It meant that you were totally aware of your setting. You were totally aware when you walked in to that setting, you were totally aware that who was at your table, even down to the point you were very aware of who sat in certain places closest to the host at your table. There were seats of importance, and then there were seats of less importance, but there were some that didn't have a seat. But it also meant that you were very aware who it is that you were going into their house, at their setting, at their table. You were very aware. It was kind of like junior high lunch times 10. You know, that moment when you walk out with your tray and go, I can't sit over there. Not going to sit over there. Last time I sat over there, that didn't turn out good. And you had these moments, and it was these moments where Jesus stepped into these. See, these were such big moments because it was a reflection of who you were and who your family was. 
It was a reflection of what you valued. It was a reflection of who you associated with. Who you chose to eat with was more than just a bag of tacos at lunchtime. This was a big, big deal. And Jesus is like, oh yeah, such a big deal. But check this out. (laughs) I'm not just going to eat with people. The text says he welcomed them. He hosted them. And them being the sinners, it it was these people that religious leaders in their day, they identified these people as less than. They were less than important. They were less than worthy, less than redeemable, less than deserving grace, less than receiving hope, less than being offered any hope of salvation. They were lawbreakers. They were troublemakers. They were considered moral filth. To the point that they were to be not just overlooked, they were to be avoided, they were to be walked around. In fact, you remember a story about a good Samaritan? It says that the religious leaders, the priest, would literally cross the street so that they wouldn't have to walk by. They didn't want to be in the vicinity of these people. And here Jesus is saying, no, come into the most intimate, most valuable setting I have to offer. Come into my dinner table. These are the people that Jesus didn't walk around, he walked up to. These were people that uh, the thought of crossing the street was never in his mind. It was like, no, I'm going to walk up and I'm going to invite these people in. Luke chapter 19 that we'll kind of get to later in this series, he says this. It says that he sought them out. It says that he seeks them. He, he looked for them. He was aware of his surroundings too, just like a dinner host. He was, surround, he was aware of his surroundings. And he invites those that no one else saw fit to give an invitation to. Those are the people that when everybody else is walking around, he's walking up to and says, listen, I see the less than worthy of a more than opportunity, worthy than a more than effort. See, the society had the labels. They labeled these people unworthy. See, tax collector, sinners, those were social labels that no one wanted. The people that labeled them negatively are the very people that Jesus leaned into and loved. Now, here's what I want to lean into for a second with us. See, I found that it's virtually impossible to fully love someone that you've labeled. Now, think about that. I'm talking about fully, genuinely, completely show acts and attitudes of love. It is virtually impossible to do that, especially negative. So let me just kind of ring a bell or two. And you think about this. There's going to be something that I say that's going to go, yeah, that's tough, or yeah, I don't know. See, we look and we see people as blue and red. We see people as Democrat or Republican or, for a few, Libertarian. And we begin to automatically label them in such a way that it makes it virtually impossible, what? To truly love. We see people as conservative and liberal. We see people as, what? White, black, Latino, or Muslim. We see people in, in, in connection with who it is they love. We see people as illegal or legal. We see people as poor and lazy. We see people as failure, addict, divorced, ugly, fake, non-Christian. And when we begin to put that label, 
those labels that are opposite of us, different than us, on us, here's what happens. It makes it virtually impossible to truly lean in and love someone. And so here's what happens. We may show a little sorrow. We may not even put a little banner on our Facebook profile. And we might throw a tad bit of resource. But to truly love someone to the greatest degree means that at some point we have to drop labels. And Jesus walks in and he destroys labels. <laughs> Sinners, tax collectors, those, I'm not familiar with those terms. I see a son or a daughter. I see a potential leader in the church. I see this, I see that, but he never thought in those terms. See, the mentality, Jesus came in and says, listen, I'm going to destroy the mentality that love has degrees. See, that was the system they had set up. It it was a matter of, of degree, where you were on the religious spectrum. And the odd thing about it was that the religious people didn't allow you to climb up and down the spectrum. So they had set up a no-win. And he says, listen, I'm going to destroy the mindset that love has degrees. And and, and this is what I'm talking about. It's where the degree in which you are loved or can be loved is equal to no greater than your actions, current and past. Your current circumstances, your outward appearance is what determines the degree of love you can and will receive from God. And Jesus says, where are you getting this? Because this is not the way I operate. But see, we get it when we put people in boxes, tax collectors and sinners, red and blue. And Jesus says, listen, I've come to destroy those things. See, there is no less than in my equation when it comes to loving people. Now, honestly, guys, this isn't the picture of Christianity that most of us are accustomed to seeing. Now, whether we want to admit that, and I'm not talking about Wellhouse. I feel like we do a really good job, and I'm proud of that. It's something that we built into our DNA from day one, and we're going to continue to build that into our DNA. But I began to look at some of the stuff that's out there and the hatred that's spewed and the intolerance and all these things, and I began to go three levels deep. Actually, I don't even have to do that. I can go one level deep on most people's Facebook and go, there it is. They're a Christian. And I'm afraid that the world is not accustomed to seeing this out of us. And Jesus, I think, calls us to this place where he says, listen, you got to do better. So here's the way I operate. See, I want to be a Christian that non-Christians like to be around. I'm not convinced that every Christian wants to be a Christian that non-Christians like to be around. I think the farther we can keep people away, sometimes is the better for for some. But for me, and and again, I look at Jesus, and Jesus loved to be a Christian that other Christians like, or non-Christians like to be around. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think it starts with realizing who I am. See, I am a sinner. And so before it gets all awkward after church when you go to invite somebody to lunch because you're going to think that they think that you're a sinner, I start with saying, hey, (laughs) this sinner would love to do lunch. See, I realize who I am. And I realize that I am a sinner that is saved by nothing else other than the grace of God period. Guys, I got so much baggage. I got so much stuffed away. It's not even stuffed anymore. It's let go. But I'm telling you, when I begin to come to grips with who I am, I begin to see the world differently. I begin to see that, you know what, maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe I don't know everything about everything. Maybe I'm the one that has made myself unlovable. And as a result of that, I find it hard to love. See, Paul says we're all sinners. He makes that clear in Romans 3. He says what? 
We are all sinners. We have fallen short. We've all fallen short. And what he's talking about there is he says we've all missed the mark. When it comes to being holy enough, when it comes to being righteous enough, when it comes to being perfect, when it comes to getting it right, he says we've all missed the mark. And he's speaking to a wide variety of people. In fact, one of the ones that he's speaking to, he's speaking to Romans who thought they were above all this. He says, no, 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 we are all in this together. We are all sinners. And it's like Paul's way of saying, don't be like the Pharisees. See, they missed the mark by not understanding we all miss the mark. And it's in these moments where he goes, listen, I don't know who it is that you think you are that, that believes that you're above missing the mark, but we've all missed the mark. And so when Pharisees and religious leaders pointed to Jesus and said, look, he's eating with sinners and tax collectors and he's welcoming them. Jesus says, thanks for the compliment. Why aren't you? Why aren't you? See, Jesus knew the answer, and he knew that this was a heart issue. They were committed to the law. They were committed to keeping every letter of the law, which should have, what equaled, it should have somehow resulted in a deeper commitment to God and people, but it didn't. Instead, it shows itself in arrogance and neglect of the weak and the poor and the marginalized. See, they knew the letter of the law, but they had forgotten the heart of the law. And so Jesus has a way of reminding them, and I love this. The way he chose to remind them, he took them to dinner. He took them to dinner. He says, all right, you want to blame me for eating with, well, let's eat with another group of sinners. So if you go back, look at Luke 11, look what happens. Jesus dines with another group of sinners, and right, up, right out of the gate, they, they, they gripe about the way he enters the house. They gripe because he neglected one of their man-made holy laws. He didn't wash his hands. I'm not telling you not washing your hands is not a good idea. It, it is a good idea. But Jesus doesn't wash his hands. For whatever reason, they begin to complain, and Jesus says, Now's a pretty good opportunity for me to kind of just lay some things out to you. So here's what he says in Luke 11. He says, now then, you Pharisees, see, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Oh, you foolish people, <laughs> did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now... For as to what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean. See, they had cleaned the outside. They looked good on the outside. And Jesus has this subtle way of saying, guys, I see through this. Yeah, your degree system of, you know, how you can be loved and, you know, the importance that you put on who it is that you associate with. You know, I see you walking around on the other side of the street. But then you'll get to where it is you're going in your safe places and you'll ring the bell for whatever it is that you think is loving God and loving people. But I see, he said, see, I see the inside. It's a heart issue. See, the heart of the heart is, is the matter. And God designed us. He says, listen, God designed us for community. He designed us to be in this place where we are loved and we express love inside out. And he has a way of reminding them that, hey, that's to the people that you have isolated. See, the greatest command, he says, what, is love God and love people. And by the way, you don't get to separate those two. If you don't do one, you can't do the other. And Jesus is like, oh, you guys. He says, you miss the mark. You've missed the mark. See, true commitment to God, <laughs> he says, it doesn't result in rule following. That's legalism. He says, no, no, no. He says, the true mark the true commitment to God is this. It manifests itself in love. It's not harm, it's help. It's not pride, it's humility. 
It's just like we talked about at camp. He inverts these things. He says, let me flip these things upside down. It's not judgment, it's mercy. He says, it's not isolation, it's integration. He says, don't seek to rule over people. He says, no, seek to be in relationship with people. See, true commitment to God means loving people, lost people, who might not be exactly where they should be at the moment, but deserve every chance they have and that we can give that they get there. And I love how he ends this. If you fast forward, he really, you need to read this because he really kind of just lets them have it. But then he gets to the very end. He says, woe to you experts. See, I love that he says experts. You think you know better. You think you have this vast knowledge. But listen to what he follows up. You experts of the law, because you have taken away the key of knowledge, you yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. He says, guys, stop hindering people from entering. Stop hindering people from entering into knowledge of who I am, knowledge of the kingdom, entering into the church, entering into relationship, and entering into the family of God. Jesus ate with lost people because he longed for them to enter. Enter into salvation. Enter into relationship. He wanted them to be and feel found. And this was never really about eating. We're going to look at a lot of eating situations. This is never about eating. He ate with them because he wanted to build a relationship with them. So here's kind of the question. So where and with who do we need to spend time eating? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you begin to take inventory of your table and the people that you spend time with and the people that occupies the seats around your table. And if you're like me, I don't eat at home, so I'm not talking about your... I'm just talking about, think about the people that you will interact with throughout the week. People that you have invited into some level of relationship more than, hey, how's your week been? Okay, good. And I'll see you next week and we'll have the same conversation. I'm talking about people that you are trying to, in some way, maybe influence for the greater good. What does it say about us when we begin to inventory those settings? See... When I ask the question, why were they so drawn to Jesus? And I begin to see those things surface. And when I begin to incorporate those things, when I begin to take on those characteristics, when I begin to understand that in my personal life, this is how I begin to live out Jesus, things change. And what we'll begin to see is that relationship is the key. So who are you in relationship with? Is it only the people that we feel safe and comfortable? And, and guys, I, I get it. I get it when we get to this deeper meaning that, hold up, Jason, now we're to be separate. You know, the church even means, you know, the called out ones. And I'm just going to be honest, some of us have taken that to the extreme. We have so isolated ourselves, and we have insulated ourselves. We listen to Christian music and wear Christian tees and eat Christian chicken to the point that we wouldn't know what a lost, regular person in our world looks like. And Jesus says, listen, don't take this to the extreme. I get it. I, I, he says, listen, you can be, what, in the world but not of it. And it's only in these moments that you find these avenues of relationship that you begin to find keys to not, again, targeting, not in this moment where you go, hey, you and I need to talk because you're a sinner. 
And so I'd love to take you to lunch. But no, when we begin to genuinely care for people, when we begin to show interest in people and who they are, when we stop talking and learn to listen, Jesus says, listen, that's the function of the church. And that's how the church is going to make a difference. That's how the church is going to begin to impact the world. I love this. I don't have anything better to say than what I'm about to give you with Aaron Chambers. He says, we are faithful in meeting with other saints around the Lord's table, but we are faithless in our refusal to meet with people around theirs. I'll be honest, when I read that this week, I went, that's it. That's it. And that sums up so much of the church culture that I know. That we will gather around these tables and we will take delight in those tables but we're faithless in refusing to eat with people around theirs. People that we've labeled and people that we see as less than. People that we feel like, you know what, at the end of the day, I'm just not sure you're worth it. And I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful in building each other up. But I want to be faithful to the relationships that I'm called to outside of this place. See, people's foundness, and I know that's not a word, may depend on your welcomeness. And it starts with one. See, Jesus showed love to one tax collector, and here's what he got. Immediately, he had an audience of others who had also been neglected. And in these moments, he leaned in. Our invitation, our place at the table means everything. I'm going to give you some quick stats, and then we'll let this go. Church Growth Inc. just did a poll about a couple thousand people, different ages, different places. And they asked one question or a variation of one question. How did you come to find faith or what or who was responsible for you coming to faith in Jesus? And listen to this. 43% said they found it in relationship with another family member. Almost 18% with a church staff person. 16% with a friend. 9% with a neighbor. And 2% with a work colleague. 73.5% pointed to a relationship with another Christian. Here's the point. Most people will come to know Jesus and will develop an opinion of his church and who he is and experience his saving grace through an intentional relationship with you. Through a genuine, loving, authentic relationship. And Jesus knew that would be the case, and so he chose to eat with sinners. He chose to put himself in places that even if his reputation took a hit, that he would lean in and he would change the world through it. Guys, people are looking to be in connection with people. I think people are looking for relationships. I think people are looking for a group of people, one, two, or, or 150, or 350. People are looking for, for places that they are genuinely loved, and they are noticed when they're missed, and they have great value placed on them when people go out of their way to willfully love them. So here's what I want your next step to be this week. Find someone that you can begin to genuinely offer relationship and love to. Someone that's not currently in your circle. Someone else that maybe everyone avoids, even at the expense of your own reputation, because here's what I, I believe. God may very well use the friendship with you to draw that person into fellowship with him. And that's what this series is about. Jesus knew that this is not easy and we would need some equipping. So for the next few weeks, we're going to look at an onslaught of mealtime moments with Jesus. Where we will begin to see things surface, things like integrity. 
where we will begin to see things like tolerance, where we will begin to see availability, where we will begin to see grace surface from those mill tables. So we're going to spend some time just journeying through Luke. So if you want some homework, just read Luke this week. He eats a lot, by the way, in Luke. We're going to begin to snatch those things and begin to equip ourselves and implement them into our lives so that we, as sinners, will begin to be liked by and we will begin to change lives of others who are not where they're supposed to be currently, but we're going to give them every opportunity to get where God wants them to be. Stand with me. I don't know what your next step is outside of that one this week, but this is a place of next steps. We will never put any pressure on you to take a step that you're not ready to take. And so along the way, we have opportunities and we have people who uh, not are a step or a degree in front of you, but experience some things and, and, and are comfortable and confident in their faith and they love sharing who Jesus is and what he's about and they love praying and they love hearing and listening to what it is that you need to be prayed for. So maybe your next step today is just saying, hey, I, I just have some questions or I've had a long week and, or there's somebody in my life that I know I need to be in relationship with that I just find it really difficult because I put a negative label on them. And so we'd love to pray for you and our shepherds who, by the way, are just a, a team of people that, that we believe God has called to, to love you and nurture you and mentor you. They have red lanyards on. Just go and find one of them back at the, at the prayer, the respond banner. Maybe for you, your next step is, is just getting connected. Maybe for you, the next step is just what I called you to. I just want to kind of be aware of who it is. I'm going to begin to take inventory of who's in my life. I want to set myself up to be liked by people who aren't like me. And maybe that means that I've got to step away from this, or I've got to step away from social media, or I've got to do some things different in my life. Just take a step. I pray that this week is full of next steps for you. Father, thank you so much for who it is that you have showcased and displayed yourself to be through Jesus. God, and I pray that you humble us about the, the time that we feel like we've got it together. And, you know, I have, I have stepped into this community and I have isolated myself from all that's bad. Will you call us back out of that? God, I pray we never get comfortable in life. But God, you are always stretching us and challenging us to go places with people that maybe others have just kind of tucked away and hidden away and labeled away. God, may we step into your love and begin to allow others to see that love displayed in the way that we will act. God, I pray as we were faithful around gathering around the Lord's table this morning, we'll be just as faithful in gathering around people's table this week. God, whether it has anything to do with food, I pray that our attitudes and our hearts begin to step into people's lives, people's lives that might be ugly and messy and all the things that we've spent a lot of time cleaning up in our own, God, that we'll step back into those for the sake of you, for the sake of salvation, for the sake of eternity. And God, you'll begin to equip us as we step into some uncharted territory. God, thank you for giving us the grace, even in the moments we don't extend it very well. God, thank you for being a loving powerful, saving God. God, thank you for eating with me. Thank you for eating with sinners. We pray this through your son's name. Amen. Amen.